0: and thanks for listening. My name is Harrison Ford. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. Uh, Hey, Doug. Um, uh, And it's uh, great to be with you this afternoon. So if you've uh, been with us the past couple of weeks, you'll know that we're in a new sermon series called On the Road with Jesus. And part of this is because it's a reference to the text that we're looking at and some of the stuff that's going on in it in these chapters of luke but it's also also kind of a playful reference to the fact that we're going to be preaching this over the summer and we're all going to be out on road trips you know the road trip is um it, it's a deeply embedded part of american culture and it's usually associated with freedom you know you think about kind of the freedom of the open road and that was certainly the case for me as a child so as many of you know, I grew up in a rural area. And if you've ever grown up in a rural part of a state or a small city, you'll know that life there can feel pretty stifling. Well, you know, the same people, the same sights. I used to pass by the same cows every day, going to and from my house. And so the way that I kind of experienced freedom was through road trips. We would take one at least every summer, on vacation and then my dad, who was a chemical salesman, he would take me uh, on his business trips with him throughout the southeast. And this continued into high school, and this kind of culminated in um, a summer-long road trip that I took, which was when I was on tour with my hardcore band in high school, LOL.) <laughs> um, so, and then when it got to college, it really escalated, took on an international dimension when I studied in Russia and then lived in Romania for a couple of years. So for small town Harrison, uh, the freedom of the open road was a big deal. But that changed when I had multiple children. I have a video on my phone from our last road trip uh, ivy and ames had been both crying like not even crying like kind of cry screaming for about 30 minutes at that point it's the middle of the night and you hear it's just i mean it's a completely black video and you're just hearing crying and then you hear wallace from the third row go when will this ever end (laughs) i was like get used to it buddy you're gonna be asking that question for a long time So as it turns out, what was once an incredible source of freedom became to me a cruel form of punishment and oppression. Now, as uh, silly as that illustration might be, I do think that underneath it there is this hard truth that I imagine most of us have learned in life. It's this, it's that life often feels oppressive. Oppressive. And so because of that, we are often searching for something to give us a sense of freedom, a sense of liberation. But the problem is that the things that we often try and find freedom in let us down, and they leave us feeling more oppressed, more weighed down. And if that resonates with you today, then today's text is good news. Because in it, Jesus tells us that he's come to bring us a freedom that's true and lasting. So if you would, please turn with me to Luke 11. We're going to look at verses 14 through 32. 14 to 32. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul. The prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom against itself is laid waste, and the divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they will enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. And and as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, "'Blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breast that wish you nursed.' But he said, "'Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it.' When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, "'This generation is an evil generation. "'It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. "'For as Jonah became a sign of the people of Nineveh, "'so will the Son of Man be to this generation.'" The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented of the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? heavenly father may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight O lord our rock and our redeemer all right i want to talk about two pretty simple things today i want to talk about how to be oppressed and then i want to talk about how to be freed how to be oppressed and how to be freed so first um, when you hear the word oppression your mind likely goes to people living under a dictatorship or maybe people who've been denied civil rights and now what i'm going to talk about today certainly applies to that but that's not what i'm trying to focus on what i'm primarily talking about today is oppression in a more personal existential sense this feeling that there are things holding you down preventing you from being the person that god created you to be. These things can be concrete. They can be a lack of finances, a lack of career opportunities, a lack of friendships or relationships, or they can be more abstract. I talked earlier about living in Russia. When I was in Russia, I experienced this kind of abstract sense of uh, oppression, and it was because of the weather. (laughs) The weather was not just physically oppressive, but it was also psychologically and spiritually oppressive you know I was always shocked at how much Russians drank until I experienced a Russian winter and I was like it checks out (laughs) the cold went past my skin past my bones deep into my soul and that's what I mean here by this kind of abstract sense of oppression it's the feeling that a perpetual winter's night has settled over your soul Now, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. I mean, if you read any reports on mental health in America, you'll realize that this is a big deal. We have a massive problem. We are not well as a society. And if you've struggled with mental health, you know this kind of existential oppression that I'm talking about. You've felt it before. But here's why I'm pressing this. Because... If you're ever going to experience the freedom of Christ, you have to own that life is often oppressive. If you're ever going to have the freedom of Christ, you have to own that life is often oppressive, and you need to be liberated from that. And in today's text, we turn, we learn that this spiritual oppression can take many different. Um, it can manifest in many different ways. So when the text, when we start out, we see in verse 15, 14 that it seems like we're just talking about kind of a demonic possession that's happening. Verse 14, Jesus say, or it says, now he was casting out a demon that was mute. But what I want to suggest is that Jesus is actually making a point to the crowd that the oppression that Satan brings into our lives can actually take many different forms. You see, he's casting out demons as a sign that he's come to bring freedom, to liberate people from the power of sin and Satan. But he's meeting opposition in a number of different ways. First, you have uh, the demon-possessed man. And of course, this is about demonic possession, but I think this demon-possessed man actually also stands as a representative for us, as the way that satan often tries to get to our souls through our bodies you know if you struggle with chronic pain or chronic illness you know what oppression is like the statistics say that uh, chronic pain is the second most common reason that people miss work it said that half of the people who suffer with chronic pain um, experience days on end where they are debilitated and a third of people who experience chronic pain experience whole seasons in which they are debilitated that is oppression it's a being it's a being spiritually weighed down because of your physical condition and this happens because we're psychosomatic holes we can't separate our bodies, from our spirits. And so whatever kind of pain that's happening in our body will inevitably make its way down to our soul. So there's that. But then also, second, there's this woman who yells out, blessed is the womb that bore you. I think she represents for us people who think, you know, it's just people who think well about Jesus, and that's about it. This is why Jesus replies back to her, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. She was impressed with Jesus, but not enough to actually follow him, not enough to actually declare that he was the Messiah, that he was the Lord. And I'm sure that we know plenty of people like this. I'm sure that at one point or another, we might have even been like this. People who look and say, yeah, you know, Jesus said some good stuff and he really does work for some people, but That's just not my thing. But the problem is that a favorable disposition towards Jesus isn't enough to experience his freedom. That's why he says in the passage, whoever's not with me is against me. He's saying there's no such thing as neutrality towards me. You're with me or against me. You're experiencing my freedom or you're living under the oppression of the evil one. So there's those two groups then there's a third group and these are the people who are demanding a sign and i want to suggest these represent for us people whose faith have been stifled because of intellectual objections they're essentially saying hey i need more data i need more proof that jesus is who he actually says he is but jesus doesn't give them another sign he gives them the sign of jonah we'll talk more about that in a minute he doesn't give them another sign because he knows that another sign actually isn't going to move the needle for them he recognizes that what's going on is there's actually a a, a spiritual oppression being veiled or being masked in the language of intellectual objections and again how many people do we know like this, or how many of us have been in this place before? We have more resources, more access to resources than people in any other time in history de- uh, defending the veracity of the truth about Jesus and the gospel, and yet we say, I need more proof. I need more data. And then I can figure out whether or not Jesus actually is who he says he is. And then there's the fourth group, and it's actually the group that we first encounter. It's the Pharisees. These are the people who are the instigation of the action in this chapter. They accuse Jesus of casting out a demon by the power of Satan himself. And Jesus' response highlights the absurdity of this claim. Why would Satan cast out his own demons? That would be, uh, that would be uh, an own goal. That would be friendly fire. It's ludicrous. But these Pharisees represent for us someone whose hearts are so thoroughly darkened and oppressed by Satan that they have descended into absurdity. They accuse Jesus of, on be, of being on the side of Satan when, ironically enough, they're the mouthpiece for Satan's lies. In this passage so there are all of these ways in this passage that we can see that Satan is working to oppress people to keep them away from Jesus and living in his freedom becoming the people that God made them to be it's not just demonic possession there's all these things going on but I want to suggest that there is an undercurrent that's going beneath all of these different manifestations And it's this one pernicious lie, the lie of self-sufficiency. The lie that you can get things under control yourself. This is what Jesus is talking about in verses 24 to 26. When you read it, it, it's a really odd parable, especially the demon goes out through arid places But I want to suggest it actually has a pretty straightforward meaning, and it's this. Just tidying up your life will never give you real and true lasting freedom. Tidying up your life, doing the right things, seeming uh, on the outside like you're good, will never give you freedom. In other words, it's possible for you to overcome your inner demons... And then to kind of make make it seem like you've got your life together, but then still remain in bondage to sin and Satan. Listen to what the demon in the parable says. I'll return to my house from which I came. In other words, he's saying, yeah, look, I've, I've been temporarily evicted, but the house, the person, is still mine. I'm coming back. And when I come back, it's going to be a lot worse than when I was originally there. And how many of us have experienced this before in our own lives? Of, of having some sin, something that holds us down, and then us trying to get rid of it through our own power, through our own volition, our own works, and then seeming to have some success over it, and thinking, okay, you know, I'm tidying up the house of my soul but then you have to slip up and you descend so much further than you were at the beginning. Self-sufficiency is underneath all of these ways that spiritual oppression manifests in this passage. It's underneath the person whose physical pain has collapsed them in upon themselves such that they can only think about themselves it's underneath the person who thinks that Jesus is fine, but ultimately uh, doesn't want to change their lifestyle to follow him. It's underneath the person who demands more evidence so that they can render a judgment over whether or not Jesus is who he says he is. And it's underneath the Pharisee who looks and says, I don't need Jesus because I've done all the right stuff, I'm good just like we see in this passage with the people in this passage self-sufficiency oppresses your soul and blinds you to the freedom that you can have in jesus so this brings us to the question how can we be free but the problem here and even attempting to answer that question is that self-sufficiency it's so coded into our culture and into our worldview and it has set itself so deeply within our bones that almost immediately when we start to say yeah you know i realize i get what you're saying about oppression how can i be free we mentally start to make the checklist of things that we need to do in order to experience jesus's freedom i need to read the bible more i need to pray more i need to go to a small group i need to go to church more I need to read the book that everyone's been talking about. I should probably get a therapist to help me work some stuff out. Now, all of those are good things. All of those things are things that actually help you live into and grow in the freedom that Jesus gives. But none of those things will actually give you freedom because they're not Jesus. Freedom comes by being united to the one free man Jesus himself. Only Jesus can free you. I mean, look at the passage. All of the action in the passage is on Jesus's end. You know, if I were writing this, I probably would have started with, and a mute man came to Jesus. But it doesn't even say that. It starts with, now he was casting out a demon. All of the action is on Jesus' end. So if we're to be free, we have to start there. Freedom is something that only Jesus can give to us. It's something that only Jesus can accomplish for us. Now the good thing is that this is precisely what he said he's come to do. Look in verse 20. But if it's by the finger of God that casts out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. The inbreaking breaking of the kingdom of God... It's something that's often associated with Jesus' incarnation and his ministry upon earth. And what he's saying here is that the point of my incarnation, the point of my coming, the point of my ministering is to liberate you from sin and Satan and all that would seek to oppress you. And when you see that happening both in your life and in other people's lives, that's when you know God's at work. When people are free. So how do we get this freedom? Freedom. Two things first it starts with believing that jesus is more powerful than whatever it is that's oppressing you that's what he's talking about in verses 20 to 21 satan in those verses is the strong man he's got his palace he's got his uh his armor his weapon he set up shop in your heart saying this is my place and so often we look and say he does feel like the strong man he's got a hold of me or this particular sin's got a hold of me but then we say jesus say that he's the stronger man he is the one who comes and evicts the strong man out of his palace out of your hearts and jesus did this in his ministry we see that he does that when he resists satan's temptations in the wilderness he does that of course most powerfully and ultimately in, in his death and his resurrection. But he also proves to us this power every day in front of our very own eyes. As I was preparing for this passage and you know, I was thinking about this idea of Jesus liberating us from, uh, from disease, I, my mind immediately went um, to a family in our congregation, the McConnells. So if you know uh, little Elizabeth McConnell, when she was in the womb, the doctors figured out that she had a hole in her heart. And it was treatable, but it was going to require her to have, immediately to have a surgery after she was born, and then probably several other surgeries down the line. And you can imagine that you hear that, Elizabeth and Thomas, they, this, is a, this is this baby they've been waiting on, they've been so excited about, and then they hear that it has a hole in its heart. How oppressive might that feel? The thing that you've longed for, a good and holy longing, and you find out that, it, that it's being complicated. But thank God that, that they had trust that Jesus was more powerful than that. Thomas is in one of my Thursday morning Bible studies, and when he first told us about this, we started praying. And we prayed for weeks, for months. For Elizabeth. And as the weeks and months went on, I think the prayers got a bit more bold and a bit more desperate. Jesus, heal Elizabeth. And here's the thing, he did. She was born, she comes out, the doctors are ready to perform her surgery, and there's nothing to do because her heart's healed. How else can you explain that? than the healing hand of God himself. Friends, God does miracles every day in front of our very own eyes that prove to us his power over Satan and evil and all that would oppress us. And I'm looking out right now across you, across across this congregation, and for all of you who are in here who claim Christ as your own, who claim to follow him, that same miracle has been done in your hearts as well. You realize, friends, that when you were born into this world, you had this, this same heart condition. You had a hole in your heart that you can't fix, but God fixed it through his Holy Spirit, and now it's a heart that's made alive and loves him and follows him. What a miracle. So, friends, all of these things are proof to us that Jesus is more powerful than whatever oppresses us. And we have to start there if we're to experience his freedom. But then, next, the way that we get that freedom is we have to submit to his love. You see, it's, it's paradoxical that true freedom comes through submitting. It's something our, our, our culture, we hate that idea, but this is pervasive throughout Scripture. True freedom comes through submitting. It doesn't come from being your own ruler. Because remember, self-sufficiency is the enemy of, of freedom. It comes through submitting to the rule of Jesus. But the good news is what Jesus tells us when he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And I will give you rest for your soul." So, how do we submit to Jesus? Well, it requires us dying to ourselves. You see, at the end of this passage, Jesus says, I'm not going to give them any sign except for the sign of Jonah, which, again, uh, at a first glance, you're like, okay, I don't even know what you're talking about, Jesus, but sure, that sounds great. But think about it What, what happened with Jonah? Jonah, he's in the belly of the whale for three days, down in the darkness in the deep, dark sea, and then he's he's spit back up, in a sense brought back to life. Well, what happens to Jesus? He dies, he goes down into the ground, into the belly of of, uh, evil itself, and then after three days, he's spit back out. The power of the Holy Spirit resurrects him and bursts the chains of death. And friends, when you're united to Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to indwell within you, this very same thing happens for you as well. The same resurrection power that bursts the chains of death bursts the, to the chains that Satan has over you to oppress you, to hold you down and hold you back from being the person that God made you to be. Friends, if you're united to Christ, that power is alive within you right now. But... If we're going to share in a resurrection like his, it means sharing in a death like his. This is what Jesus is talking about earlier in Luke when he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will save it. What does this mean? Well, it means daily Resisting, daily pushing back against self-reliance through the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of Jesus Christ. It means letting go of the reins of your life. Letting go of trying to direct and control your life and the lives of others. And putting the reins in the hand of Jesus. It means submitting to His loving rule. And that, paradoxically enough, is how you find true freedom. You know, earlier, um, George, taught, he prayed for the Kellers. Um, Kim, Tim Keller, if you didn't know, is a, a world-renowned pastor from our denomination who passed away this past week. Um, and he was such a beautiful example of these very things that we've been talking about. You know, it's it's been such a gut punch. Tim Keller's had, like for so many people, he's had so much influence from afar in my life. Um, It's been gut punch to hear all of this, but it's been so beautiful watching on social media. One of the few times social media can be beautiful. uh, Watching people recall, one, the character of his life, that's really outstanding. But then, two, bringing back to the forefront a lot of the things that he's taught and said in interviews and sermons and books... And there's this one video that was shared, um, and I've just rewatched it, rewatched it, and every time I'm absolutely wrecked by it. He was given an interview. This was like during the height of COVID, um, right? At, like not long after he had gotten diagnosed with cancer. He's given an interview, and the question is, "What would you say to a young Christian who is worried about the future?" And he said this if Jesus Christ is actually raised from the dead, then you know what? Everything's going to be all right. Whatever you're worried about right now, whatever you're afraid of, everything is actually going to be okay. Now, if you're really worried, if you're really afraid, if you're really hurting, there's a way to hear that and be like, don't give me this kind of just pat answer. But when he says that you can tell he believes it it's not just kind of a doctrinal throwaway he's saying this is the only thing that he has hope in and he proved it over the past couple of days as he was dying his family shared some of his uh, what something he said in his final in his final days i'm thankful for all the people who've prayed for me over the years i'm thankful for my family that loves me I'm thankful for the time God has given me, but I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus send me home. And then reportedly, some of his last words were, there's no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. If you can face death, the ultimate enemy, with that kind of confidence, then you are truly free and friends if you've died to christ you will share in his resurrection and so that same freedom is yours to live in now and forevermore let's pray heavenly father we thank you that You have freed us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, just like the Israelites, we are often um, prone to try to put the chains back on, to live uh, back in slavery. But Father, we pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would help us to die daily to ourselves, that we would resist self-sufficiency in order that we might live in you. Father, I pray that you continue to bring uh, stories in our congregation to our to our minds that, that witness to your power to overcome the things that oppress us so that we would be encouraged by it and put our faith and trust more and more in you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.